When I was in the eighth grade, I was one of the tallest kids in my class. And by the time I was a senior, I was one of the shortest kids in my class. At some point, I had an early growth spurt, and then I just stopped growing. When I was, I guess, in seventh or eighth grade, uh, and then just kind of leveled off. And now, do you notice that the older you get, you tend to shrink a little bit each year? I don't know if you knew, but Lou Miller used to be seven feet five inches tall. <laughs> but when we think about spiritually, we all get to that point where sometimes there's been a growth spurt or something happened and maybe there was an event or whatever and it just spurred our faith on and we just, we went well and we went fast and we went hard and then sometimes we go through phases of life where we're just like, I'm pretty much the same I was five years ago, spiritually. And that's not good. Sometimes we think that this is as far as I can go. I've, I've, I'm at a cap spiritually. Like, what more can I do for God? Or what more can I get out of my Bible reading and prayer? And one of the great things about spirituality is there's no limit. There's no growth potential where God would look at me and say, you've, you've reached, that's it. That's, that's all you're going to ever enjoy in this relationship we have. And I believe even when we get to heaven, we are going to have this an amazing relationship that's going to continue to grow and grow and grow for all of eternity in our understanding and appreciation for who God is. So if that's going to take place in eternity, we should be experiencing that now on this planet. We should be experiencing a relationship with God that is growing and getting deeper all the time. And so this morning, we're going to look at three essentials for how we can enjoy God. Three essentials for enjoying God. And the, the writer of scriptures, when God penned this, he, he, he made it very plain for us. I'll give you the three points to begin with, and then, and then we'll, look, we'll see them in the text, because they're, they're literally in the text. Number one, let us draw near to God through faith. Number two, let us hold fast to God's promises with hope. And then number three, let us encourage one another with love. And they're all in the text. In fact, I think almost in every version, it says exactly those words. Let us, let us, let us. And so the encouragement is, let us do that. Uh, and if, if this doesn't happen in my life, it's not because God didn't make it possible. It's because I didn't put in the effort to let these things happen to us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today. Thanks, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be together. Fellowship, look in the word of God and... I pray that you would just teach us, Lord, what it is that you want us to learn from this text today. Help us, Lord, to leave this place with a greater desire to grow deeper in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse number 19, we're going to back up to verse 19. We ended verse 18 last week, and he says this, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, confidence, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way by which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So God says, first of all, 
let us draw near to God. And the emphasis there is we draw near to God through faith. Verse number 22 says that let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I said to those who were in Sunday school, we're going to three aspects, faith, hope, and love. All three of them are played out here. So I think one of the greatest things that we can understand is if I want to grow closer in my walk with God, it comes through those three things, faith, hope, and love. There's other things he tells in other places, but specifically in this passage, he says, if you want to grow close to God, you need faith, you need hope, and you need love. And in Sunday school, I said, and the greatest of these is love. We often think the greatest of these is I need more faith. And sometimes we do. Sometimes they need more hope. But I think as we look at this, we're going to see we need more love for one another and for the things of God. So he says, verse 19, we need to have confidence, boldness, he says, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now for them, for the Hebrews, he's, he's trying to bring them back to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, when they went into the tabernacle, when they went into the temple, there was a vast image before them. There was the altar where blood was shed all the time for the man's sins. Beyond that, there was a golden laver where they would wash up. Beyond that, there was a little room behind a curtain that the average person could never go into. It was called the holy place. And beyond that, there was another room that only the high priest could go into once a year. And that was called the Holy of Holies, or the holiest place. That was where the dwelling place of God was. Now, God dwelt everywhere, right? He is everywhere, but in a very specific way. That was signifying the very presence of God, and only the high priest could go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. The priests were the only ones allowed into the holy place, and the average person that was a Jew was allowed into the courtyard there to sacrifice. But God says to me and to you, I'm not a high priest, but God says, I want you to understand now, because that has all been done away with. You and I have the privilege and the ability to enter into the Holy of Holies. But not the one that was on the earth, because it's not here anymore. The temple was destroyed. But to the Holy of Holies that's in heaven, where God is seated. God says, listen, I, a human being that's a sinner, God says, I want you to have the ability to have confidence that at any moment, you and I could go into the very throne room of God and talk to him and fellowship with him. And not like, well, I know I pray, and somehow my prayers, God hears, but he's not really paying attention, he, but he hears everything. No, no, God says, I want you to understand that every time you pray, you are actually literally, in a very spiritual way, you are going into the very throne room of God and talking to the one who created the entire world. And that should excite us. Because I can have that privilege. And, and not just like, you know, somehow that works. No, no. Have confidence. With confidence, draw near to God through your faith. It says verse 20, By a new and living way by which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith.
faith. Again, he's emphasizing our faith here. That we need to have the ability to have faith that I can, I can believe what God said. God said it so I can believe it. I have the privilege of going into the very throne room of God. And so by faith, when I pray, I should envision the fact that I am standing before a holy God. And I get the privilege to do that because of my faith. Now, my faith is not in, we talked in Sunday school, my faith is not just in faith. My faith is not in some nebulous idea. My faith is in what the Bible said, right? The, the high priest in the Old Testament, they could go beyond that room and into the very presence of God because God made stipulations. This is how you do it. Now, he destroyed that. We don't have that anymore. But God said because of what Christ did on the cross, he died for me. His flesh was torn. That was the veil. He died. His blood was shed. He went into the tomb. He rose again the third day. And then he invites me. Come with me into the very presence of God, whenever you want. Now, he did put two stipulations on it. Look at the next phrase there. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Number one, having your heart sprinkled from an evil Conscience. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, that means that I need to understand that when the body, the blood of Christ was broken and shed on the cross, when his blood was spilled, his blood was enough to save me. I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to be a good person because I'm not. God says I was a sinner by birth and by choice. But because of his blood, my heart has been sprinkled by his blood. Because the blood of bulls and goats could never save anybody. But Jesus Christ could. So I need to know that I'm born again, that I have placed my faith in Christ alone, that my dependence on heaven is the cross. Jesus died in my place. Jesus' blood was shed for me. It was enough to cover my sins. Not that and good works. It was that. God says I need to repent of my sin and place my faith in Christ alone. And I ask the question all the time. If you were to stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? Think about that question this afternoon. If he were to ask you that question, if today you were to die and stand before God and he were to say, why should I let you into heaven? Would you have a clear answer? And would it sound something like this? Well, I remember the day when I realized I was a sinner. And I realized that Jesus Christ was enough to save me. And I turned away from my sin and I placed my faith in Christ alone. And I have chosen to follow you. Well, that's a good answer. But if we say something like, well, I, I'm, I'm doing my best. Like, I'm, I have faith in Jesus and I'm trying to do my best. He's going to say, I, I never knew you. That wasn't good enough. Because whenever we add anything to the finished work of Christ, we are negating it. It's, it's like a double negative in the English. If we were to say, I, I, I never not was going to do that. Well, we cancel it out. And now we've made a, a double negative makes it a positive. We do the same thing with Christ. When we say, I believe in Jesus and good works, we cancel it all out and we got nothing. But when we understand my faith is in the finished work of Christ alone, I've repented of my sin. I've placed my faith in Christ alone. That's when salvation begins. 
And so if I've done that, that's the first aspect of having the privilege to go into the presence of God to pray at any time. The second thing is, look at verse 22, hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, that's salvation. And number two, and our bodies washed with pure water. That's sanctification. That is knowing that I know I'm saved, but also I know right now I'm in fellowship with God. Because if, if I know I'm saved, but I'm not walking in fellowship with God, well, I can't go into his presence. That says if I regard iniquity, if I recognize there's sin in my heart, but I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to deal with that. Because I like that sin, and I'm not going to fix that sin. And God can take me as I am. Well, I don't have the privilege of going to the presence of God anymore. Because now I come with dirty hands. Who can, who can approach God, it says in Psalm 24, he that had clean hands and a pure heart. So it doesn't mean I'm not saved. It doesn't mean I won't go to heaven when I die. But if, I, if, I, if I've got a dirty heart because there's unconfessed sin in my life, then I, I don't have the privilege of going into his presence. But if I'm saved and walking in fellowship with God, the best of my ability, I'm not perfect, but I'm seeking to please God and live for him and confessing known sin, First John 1, then God says, I have the privilege of going to God in prayer and know that he hears me. And I should be doing that by faith. And so what a way to enjoy the presence of God. That I don't just have to listen to the word of God and hear it or spend time listening to this, but I also can talk to him personally in a very special, unique way. I can go into the presence of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Aren't you thankful he doesn't have hours, office hours? Because don't most of your problems come in the middle of the night? and your mind is rushing, or real early in the morning, or, or when you need God, it's never at a convenient time, is it? And you need to run to God and pray, and he's always there for us. He's always ready to listen. And God says, I can draw near to him. In fact, God begs me, come, let us come near, draw near to me. It's the safest thing we can ever do is draw near to God. Secondly, he says in verse number 23, so not only should I draw near to God by faith, but verse 23 says this, let us, same phrase, verse 22, let us, verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our, let me change the word, not faith, of our hope. It's a different word. In fact, many of the modern versions translate it hope. And that's a better translation. It's a different word. It's not the word for faith. It's the word for hope. Let us hold fast to profession of our faith or our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Hold fast. What does that mean? It means to seize, to possess, to, to grab onto, to keep something. Let us hold fast the profession of what we hope for. Well, what do you hope for? Well, as a Christian, we're hoping for heaven, right? We're hoping that, you know, our families are safe. We're, we're hoping that we will grow, that they will grow. We're, we're hoping, you know, that we don't have a lot of problems in life. But ultimately, we're hoping, hopefully, that we would do what is pleasing to God with the way we live. And that one day we will stand before God and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we have a confidence, we saw in Sunday school, the hope, the absolute assurance of heaven. That's what this word is. Hold on to that. Why? 
for he is faithful that promised. What's my hope? Well, have you ever done a remodel project around your house? And maybe earlier, you, you know, maybe when you bought the house, you really, you know, liked the way this thing looked, but now you're, you're like, needs a change or whatever, and you, maybe you've remodeled. Or maybe you've watched some TV shows where they've remodeled, and they show you it before, and then they go in and they tear this wall out and do different things, and they make it look different, and you're like, wow, that looks much, much better. And I don't know if you've heard, there's, a, there's been a huge thing going around for probably the last eight to ten years in the Christian circles, in evangelical circles. It's called deconstruction, where people say, I am deconstructing my faith. And typically what happens, it's, and they call them ex-evangelicals. I used to be an evangelical, now I'm an ex-evangelical. Now I don't believe the Bible. I've studied it. I've destroyed some of the things. And so now I don't believe what the Word of God says. And so they've gone through this deconstruction process. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with deconstructing some of the things that we did believe that weren't biblical. And I hope you've done that in your life. I hope there are times that you've, maybe you, you had, you know, all of your theology and biblical practices, it's all cut and dry from, you know, 30 years ago. You got saved and got on fire for God and here you are, like, I, I know all the answers. And then after a while, you're like, wait a minute, this is what I believe over here, not about salvation, but some peripheral issue. And you took a really hard stand on it. And the more you read the scriptures, you're like, I don't think the Bible says that. And you deconstruct that and you fix it. There's nothing wrong with that. What he's telling us here is let us hold fast to the profession of the confidence that we have in Christ. Again, you can deconstruct a lot of peripheral things. And that's okay. But you got to build them back up again. But what's the foundation? Here's the problem. When people say, I'm going to deconstruct my faith, and then they start ripping up the foundation, oh, you've got a big problem there. Because Jesus Christ is the foundation. The foundation is the gospel. And if you change the gospel, well, you're a heretic. But if you tweak what some of the building looks like, here's the thing. I hope you're doing that. Because none of us have it all figured out. And none of us know all of the answers to everything. And so we should be constantly evaluating, what do I believe? What do I understand about the scriptures? And, and what do I, what I believe? Is that, is that clear in the word? Because if it's not clear in the word, I've got to be very careful that I'm building my life on something that's not in the word of God. And we've all done that. Where we scratch our head and think, how in the world did I ever believe what so-and-so taught me or said and we should be doing that in our lives but we hold fast to our hope without wavering the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ now here's the good thing God's never going to give up on you no matter what you do no matter where you go no matter what you believe no matter how much you deconstruct God doesn't give up on his children and he encourages us don't give up on him. Hold fast to the confidence that you have 
what you believe in the word of God, what it says, because this is our hope. Because what are we, what are we basing our confidence in? It's the promises of God. What he says in this book. Because if God said it, we can take it to the bank, right? We can, we can hold on to that for good. Now, here's my problem. Here's your problem. Here's every Christian's problem. When I go through hard times, when life doesn't turn out the way I thought it should, what do we do? We question God. And God says, hold on to the hope. What's my hope? It's this book. It's the promises. It's the principles of God's word. So if you've ever been to a place in your life where you feel like, I don't, I don't know that God's with me anymore. I feel like, because of all that I'm going through, I feel like God has abandoned me. Go to the scriptures, and what's the promise? God promises that he will never leave me. No, he will never forsake me. I can take that to the bank. And God says, hold on to the promise. When life is turning out where it, nothing looks like it's good, this is all bad. And even God would look at it and say, yeah, that is, that is a pretty bad situation. What does he say? God promises that he's going to take that bad situation and he's going to somehow work good out of it. God doesn't look at that bad situation and say, that's not that bad. No, he looks at it and says, yes, that's horrific. But I promise you this, I'm going to take that bad and I'm going to work it for something good. And so that's when God wants me to hold on to him and hold on to the promises. That's the hope that I have. Because if I didn't have the promises of God's word, what would you cling to? We would hope in hope. I think God is with me. But the unsaved person might say that too. Oh, I think God is with me. I hope he's with me. Do you know what? I have the confidence of knowing that he is with me. I have the promise that God says he's going to take all of the mess in my life and he can still work it for good somehow. I may not see it ever, but I have the confidence, the hope that he will do it. Why? Because he said so. So the writer here is encouraging the Hebrew believers, listen, I know your life is a mess right now, and I know some of you are going through persecution and trials and hardship, and I know Satan is after you, but he said, listen, I want you to, 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 to hold on to the hope that God has given you through his word and through himself and through the spirit of God who lives inside of you. Hold on to that without wavering. Notice he, he doesn't want us to waver in the wind. You know, don't be a Christian that just however the wind blows. No, be like that firm tree that just doesn't move no matter how strong that wind blows. Why? Because our roots go deep into the truths and the promises and the principles of God's word. So he says, let us hold on to the hope that we have. Verse number 24. The third, let us. And let us consider one another. To provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So again, we're, we're going to draw near to God through faith. We're going to hold fast to God's promises with hope. And now he says, let us encourage one another 
with love, faith, hope, love. Now again, this is part of how we enjoy God. This is part of how we understand what the Christian life is supposed to be all about. And he says, let us consider one another. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of this verse, he says this, thought it was good. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Why does, like, it seems like the writer is saying, listen, you need faith in God, you need hope in God, and then he says, and you need to love other people. Like, that just doesn't seem to match. Like, I need faith in God, I need love in, or hope in God. Shouldn't it be I need love in God? No, he says, you want to enjoy God? Have faith in Him, have hope in Him, and love people. Specifically, Church people, let us consider, let us think about, let's pay attention to one another. Remember you, you were in high school? Maybe, hopefully not high school, maybe when you were in elementary school. And the teacher looked out and he said, everybody's eyes are on your own paper, right? You know what God says? Put your eyes on other people's paper. Consider one another. Not cheat off of them, not do what they're doing exactly, but look around and consider one another. When somebody has a prayer request, we should pray for that. Hopefully follow up on that. How's that going? When, when, we, when we see somebody that's not here, there's several people not here today. Hopefully they might get some phone calls this week from others. When somebody's sick or needs a, a meal or somebody's going through a really hard time, hopefully something kicks into our minds and we're like, man down, I need help. If, if a police officer ever shouts on his radio, man down, what happens? You see it. Every police car within counties flock to that place. Why? Because man down means he's my brother, I need to help. And so too, that same attitude should happen in the church. Somebody's struggling, somebody's hurting, I'm there. What can I do? And in fact, don't even say, what can I do? Just do something. Just Because you know what? When somebody's hurting, you say, what can I do? They're usually, I don't know. Somebody loses a loved one. You, like, do you need anything? Do something. Just do something. Why? Because God says we need to consider one another, and then we need to provoke them unto love and to good works. Provoke people in a good way, right? We all know how to provoke people in a bad way. But God says, I want you to learn how to provoke other people to love and good works. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he reminds us, if you see another person overtaken in a fault, you see somebody struggling spiritually, oh, they used to come and I don't know what's going on. They've, they've kind of drifted away. I don't know what's happened to them. They're not as spiritual as I am. I haven't drifted away. No, no, no. If you see someone overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, restore them. How am I going to restore them? 
word is used there of resetting a broken bone, of mending a broken neck. God says, go and help. Call them. What can I do? Can I minister to you? Can I do something for you? What's going on? Do you need to pray? Do you need somebody to talk to? Restore them. Encourage them. Consider one another. Provoke them unto love and good works. And then he says this, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of summons, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. God says, don't forsake. The word there is synagogue. Synagogue is how they did church in that day. Now it's the church. We don't worship on Saturday in a synagogue. We worship on Sunday in a church. And he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Well, because we need one another. Because you and I can study the word of God and you can study this book. There's nothing special I can get out of this book that you can't get out of this book. There's, I, just because I went to school to learn how to study doesn't mean I'm better at it than anybody else can be at it. Any child of God can open the book and understand what this book says. You know why? Because you have the same Holy Spirit living inside of you that I do. The one who wrote the book lives inside of you. And so you don't need to come just because I'm an expert on it. I'm not an expert on it. There are no experts on it. But God has said, one of the things I want my people to do is to gather together weekly to be around the Word of God and have a certain person stand up and teach it and dissect it and help us understand it. And, and I'm supposed to spiritually feed you, but that's not enough nourishment for you. You need to nourish yourself through the week. But it's not just about me giving you a message. Because we did that through the pandemic part of the time virtually. And that was workable, but that was not the best. And, you know, we can all stay home and, you know, just watch it on live stream. But God didn't say, not forsaking the hearing of a message once a week. What did he say? Don't forsake the assembling. Why? Because it's more than just a message. I hope you listen to other messages through the week. But it's about fellowship. It's about encouraging one another. It's about provoking one another to love and good works. There's something special about fellowship. And there's always something special about being in person when you hear the word of God preached. I don't know what it is. We can't get it. But it's just like if you were to go to a concert or if you were to say, I'm going to live stream the concert. There's something different about being there than there is just watching it on TV. It's something we can't figure out, but God created us that way. And you might say, well, I'm not so much, I'm not much of a people person. I don't really need the fellowship of other people. That's okay, but they may need you. So don't ever say, I don't need to be there because I'm, I'm much more of a loner. I don't need people. God says, People need you. God said this, in, when he created mankind, what did he say? It's not good that man be alone. 
He created us to fellowship. So he says, don't forsake the assembling. If you can be here, not everybody can be here. Some people just sometimes they can't. Maybe they're sick. Maybe you know, there's something specific. They just can't be here for a specific time for a specific reason. But if our attitude is, I just don't need church. Well, we missed the boat because God says you do. And so we should fellowship with God and fellowship with Christians as much as we possibly can. And that's biblical. That's not just me because I want more people here. Now, do I get encouraged when more people are here? Of course. And so do other people. And again, we look around and we may think, I wonder where so-and-so's at. I wonder if they're sick today. I wonder how you could figure that out. <laughs> Maybe we could call them. Hey, I missed you in church today. Is everything okay? And we can find out. We can ask questions. We can reach out and let them know. And God reminds us here that we should not forsake the assembly. We should gather together. We should provoke one another. Why? As the manner of some is, they didn't have live stream back in this day. And some Christians were saying, I don't think I'm going to church today. And I'm thankful when I grew up, we never asked the question, are we going to church today? Wednesday nights, we never asked, are we going to church tonight? It was assumed when the doors are open, we're going to be there. And we encourage one another. And so much the more, he said, as you see the day approaching. The writer is saying there, the time is getting short. We don't have much time. Fellowship with one another as much as you possibly can because the end is near. And because the end is near, Satan knows the end is near. And what's he doing? He's ramping up the efforts to attack God's people. And so we need to ramp up our encouragement of one another. Reach out and encourage and help one another as much as we possibly can. So again, God reminds us, I want you to enjoy this relationship that you and I can have with God Number one, we do it by drawing near to him through faith. We do it by holding fast to the promises with hope. And then we do it by encouraging one another with love. And again, from a human perspective, we would say, well, I think the order is number one, faith. Number two is hope. And number three is love. God always flips the script around, doesn't he? And God says the greatest of these is love. So he says, I think what you need to do is number one, if if you can do anything, be around other Christians as much as possible and love them. Love your church family. Reach out to your church family. Call one another. Again, this shouldn't be the only time we hear from one another during the week. I hope we reach out to others and fellowship with others, talk to one another. Whether it's even on Facebook or wherever people do that, we text or whatever. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Can I pray for you? I didn't see you Sunday. What's going on? Can I, whatever it is, encourage one another with our love. Hold fast to God's promises with hope. And number three, draw near to him through faith. There's a lot of things we can do in our Christian walk. But what we do here on Sundays, what we do here on Wednesdays, God says it's vital to our growth spiritually. Our hope, our confidence in the promises of God's word, it's vital. And our faith, what do we believe? It's vital. And let's do our best to continue to grow in those three areas, in our faith and our hope.